Hello, and welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Good morning. So, for the last several months, I have worked so hard. I have stayed up late, I've researched, I've been excited, I've been disappointed, and it's all been centered around the world of Marvel movies, or Marvel comics, if you used to read those back in the day. But a long time ago, I wrote them off as far too complex, and, and not in my preferred genre of movies, which are romantic comedies and the Fast and Furious phenomenon. They're very random and odd, but that's my interest. <laughs> but then I was introduced to Captain America, and I watched that movie and I was amazed. I thought it was so fascinating and interesting, and so I went back and I tried to watch them all in order. And I've made progress, but it takes time to really understand the complex world of superheroes. And so in one of the films, titled The Avengers, the Earth's most talented superheroes are all called together, and they have to learn to work together if they hope to stand a chance against this evil villain. But the problem is that they are all individual superheroes, and they remained individual superheroes. For the first half of the movie, they were more preoccupied with their own agendas. They argued, they undermined each other, they didn't trust one another. And it resulted in them being far less effective against their enemy. And it almost resulted in the, the enemy winning. But it's Hollywood, so that would never happen. And so there's a point in the movie where this guy named Agent Nick Fury, he speaks to what seemed like a team of disjointed members. They're defeated, they're feeling down, and I want you to watch what he says, because I think it applies to us this morning. Yes, we were going to build an arsenal with the Tesseract. I never put all my chips on that number, though, because I was playing something even riskier. There was an idea. Stark knows this. Called the Avengers Initiative. The idea was to bring together a group of remarkable people, see if they could become something more. See if they could work together when we needed them to, to fight the battles that we never could. Phil Coulson died still believing in that idea. And he rose. So it cut off there, but the, the last line he says, um, you didn't hear it, it says, it may have been an old-fashioned notion, the idea of bringing people together for a greater good. Is that old-fashioned? that we lost the hope of rising outside of our individual purposes and goals in order to be better together. I sure hope we have not. But if you've lost that hope this morning, I hope that this message and this text will be an encouragement to you. The Marvel movie phenomenon almost describes God's plan for his church, bringing together remarkable people for them to be something greater, for them to be better together, not only for themselves, but also for the world. And like them, we can't go it alone and we were never meant to. In order for the church to thrive, we need each other. We need every single member. But too often what we see with the Avengers is what happens to the church, that we become disjointed attenders, and we become set on being solo Christians. So this morning, we're going to look at the obstacles that keep us from living out our calling to be the church. 
God's design for relationships to be central to our lives and the thriving of his bride, and what scripture teaches us about the purpose of being better together. Obstacle number one, as I see it, is the emphasis on individuality and a push for independence no matter the cost. When the Founding Fathers, they sat down to write um, and draft the Declaration and the Constitution, their heartbeat was to create a country where the individual had the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And individualism was the goal, to favor freedom of individual actions, independence from an establishment, and self-reliance over the state or a social group. But maybe we've gone just a little too far. We're at the point where the individual is the primary focus, you belong to yourself, you belong to your desires and your dreams and your wants and your needs. Ultimately, nothing is more sovereign than the individual. I don't have to go far to see this in everyday life. I work with students every day, and they are funny and they're wild and their behavior is always intriguing. And those of you that interact with youth or have raised youth yourself, you know that too. You know that nothing is more important to them than themselves. And truthfully, it's not their fault, right? It's part of the stage of life that they're in and their development. And I watch this play out at middle school youth group every Wednesday. One kid will pull out a bag of gummy worms that they just bought at Bruno's. And all of a sudden, all the kids and Luke will flock to this one kid, right? And it's like the scene from Finding Nemo. And it's like, mine, mine, mine. And they all are like reaching for gummy worms. And they're conditioned to be primarily concerned with themselves. And we know that as you grow older, you will grow out of that and you'll gain a, a greater perspective on the world and your surroundings. But I'm starting to wonder if it's possible to grow out of individualism, because it's not just a problem with our youth. A few years back, the New York Times published an article titled The Age of Individualism by Ross Duthat. This is at the peak of millennial research, saying that all millennials were doomed, that I was doomed, that I would never be successful. But this one quote stood out to me, and this is what he said. In the future, it seems, there will only be one ism, individualism, and its rule will never end. As for religion, it shall decline. As for marriage, it shall be postponed. As for ideologies, they shall be rejected. As for patriotism, it shall be abandoned. As for strangers, they shall be distrusted. Only selfies and Facebook will abide, and the greatest of these will probably be Facebook. <laughs> wow, right? Ouch. Is that sustainable? Being an individual is one thing, and that's great, but if we're throwing away all community or solidarity, that risks tarnishing the beauty of how we were created. Another obstacle I see to this is our response to deep relationships. We're living in one of the most connected times in all of humankind. This has opened the door for Facebook and Snapchat and Twitter and WhatsApp and all these other apps that I can't keep up with, and it's my job to keep up with them. But these apps, right, they're meant to connect us to people around the world. If you want to know what your first crush was doing today, you can find them on Facebook. FYI, my first crush is living on the beach in Hawaii with his dog. Seems to be doing great. But if you want to know how the rich and famous live, you can follow them on Instagram. If you want to see someone else's vacation that they took while you had to work, you can watch that too. Right? For all the technological ways that this age has been a blessing to us, it's also drastically disconnected us from real depth and vulnerability and intimacy with one another. At the core of this issue that I see many people facing today is a significant level of isolation. Researchers now see loneliness as a bigger health concern than obesity and smoking. And loneliness leads to depression, anxiety, and even a shorter life expectancy. A Barna study conducted in 2015 
surveyed a random sample of adults 18 and older, and they found that one in five adults regularly or often feels lonely. We can have hundreds of followers, we can have hundreds of friends, but how many true friends do we have? Being in friendship and relationship with one another has been watered down, and we've been stripped of having real depth because true friendship is messy, and it requires real investment of time and emotional capital. It requires vulnerability, and I believe that we're scared. We're scared to show our true selves, our strengths, and our weaknesses. Having to be real with one another keeps us from fully living into and being a part of the church. Lastly, and on, on some level or another, we all battle with our worth. Our self-doubt leads to undervaluing ourselves, and we wonder to ourselves, and even out loud at times, do I have something to contribute? Are my gifts worth anything? In college, these thoughts plagued me as I looked for a church. I was going through growing pains in my faith away from my home church, which was Carmel Press. And as I visited churches, I was really good. I, I like mastered this skill at keeping them at an arm's length distance. I would go just enough to see people, but then I, I wouldn't really stick around to invest in anybody. I feared that if they really knew me, they'd see that I was flawed. And they, they all seemed to have it so put together. And I fear that I didn't have anything worth contributing to the church. And when I tried to make college, in college, my faith a priority, um, I let the fear and, of my worth keep me from ever fully investing. And I hoped that I could get by on my own without the accountability, without the community, and without the authenticity that the body of Christ provides. And I became lonely, and I struggled to keep my faith and I began to resent the other people I saw from afar flourishing in their faith because they were a part of the body of Christ. And honestly, I was just sad. It's lonely and sad going at your faith alone. Now more than ever, we need the church. We need the church to remind us of who we are as followers of Christ, to walk with us in our faith, to give us our mission as agents of the gospel, and to demonstrate that we truly are better together. From Genesis to Revelation, God intended community to be key to his redemption plan. From the creation of Adam and Eve as partners to his covenants with Noah and Abraham and Israel and his sending Jesus Christ to the commissioning of the church and even to setting our place in heaven, God chose to use our messy hands to partner in redeeming the world for his glory. Since the beginning of time, God's been in relationship with himself as, as the Trinity and with his best creation, humanity, that he created in his image. We were created to be in relationship. From the earth, God created Adam, and he knew it was in Adam's best interest to be in relationship, not only with God, but also with Eve. So God continued to create. And now we see Adam and Eve in the garden with God. They're living in relationship with one another, and it's idyllic. But Satan, Satan inserts himself into their idyllic togetherness, and it forever impacts human relationships. Adam and Eve turned their backs on God and left humanity in a severed state with each other and with God. Satan used a lie to break the relationship between God and humankind, and he continues to do that to this day. You see, the lies of the enemy, they always leave us fractured from God, and they always leave us turning against one another. Adam was quick to expose Eve, and their guilt turned to shame, and they hid from their creator. So each time we allow Satan's lies into our mind, or we let them fester, we remain disconnected from being in right relationship with God 
and our calling to be together as the church, the body of Christ. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus gathers his disciples together, and they live, and they train, and they minister under Jesus' leadership, but they're always together. And repeatedly in his ministry, there's this theme of being together. As he instructs them and he sends them out, he doesn't send them alone, but he sends them in pairs. In Mark 6, Jesus commissions the 12. And in Luke 10, Jesus sends out the 70 on mission. And in both instances, there's this specific instruction of being sent two by two, never alone. Two disciples were more likely to be heard and listened to if they were together, but not alone. In addition to being sent out together, disciples were also instructed on how gathering together, on being together in Jesus' name, invokes his presence. Matthew 18, 20 says, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. God was not just in these larger gatherings or assemblies. God promises that for the few that meet together in prayer and in studying his word, he is also there. There is something distinct and holy about gathering in the name of Jesus, no matter the size, God's presence is still there. And once Jesus ascended into heaven, he turns his mission and his ministry over to us. We aren't qualified by any means, yet he still chooses to use us. Christ is the head of this church, of all churches, yet he wants to be a part of the body that ministers, serves, sacrifices, loves, and leads, and that's what he invites us into. What a crazy and beautiful God and what a crazy and beautiful ministry we get invited into. So this morning we're going to look specifically at 1 Corinthians 12 to understand the bigger picture of what the church should be. And through Paul's own Avengers Initiative speech that he gives, we'll see why we need each other as the body of Christ and how we're each uniquely made to be a part of God's family. One thing to keep in mind as we look at this passage is the reality of the church culture in Corinth. The biggest issue these people were facing were that they weren't getting along. They allowed the conflicting values of society to interfere with how they operated as a church, and it caused division and it caused conflict. Does that sound familiar to anyone for American Christianity today? Yes, okay, this was 2,000 years ago. But I believe that in some areas, 21st century Christians haven't outgrown the Corinthian Christian struggles. Just look at how many different denominations there are almost all of which came out of conflict in the church. Like other epistles that Paul writes, the letter to the Corinthians is Paul's response to the concern of their church. And specifically, the passage we'll look at this morning addresses the divisive issue the church of Corinth was dealing with, and that would be spiritual gifts. You see, there was a higher emphasis that was put on speaking in tongues and prophesying within the church, only because the Roman culture placed a higher emphasis on individuals who would prophesy at shrines supposedly inspired by other gods. The outside influence of valuing this gift above others had begun to seep into the church, and it began to change the true understanding of these gifts. And Paul cautions the people, he cautions the Corinthians, that the emphasis the church, or sorry, the culture puts on things should not define the people of God. And if we take a step back from that, isn't that, usually always true, that what the world emphasizes, what the world puts value on, is not what Christ values most. And if we as a church, we take our marching orders from the culture, then we aren't the church, and we're no longer distinct and holy. Something that Luke and I say to our students at youth group almost every week is that we want Wednesdays to be an inviting and a welcoming space, comfortable for new students to come. 
But we also always promise that what we say and do on Wednesdays, that it will be different than what the world is saying and doing. Because if we don't look any different than the world and what they're getting at school or with their friends, then what are we doing? What, are we, what is different about us? What are we sharing? Paul's repeated emphasis to the Corinthian church in this chapter is that through Christ we are better together. Our gifts may be different, yet all our gifts are useful. And through the form of this popular metaphor of his time, Paul helps the church understand God's intended design and form and function of his bride. In the Greco-Roman politics, the human body was commonly used to illustrate the Roman state. And so this man named Menonius Agrippa, who was a senator in early Rome, he was dealing with the lower class and a possible revolt. And he needed to find a way to keep the peace, to help illustrate the roles of the lower class and the upper class and how they played in together to help keep Rome stable. And he was a, an aristocrat himself, wealthy, and so he convinced the lower class that while they may not be as noticeable as he was and as the, his other members of high society, they were still necessary, like a stomach would be necessary. It's not as noticeable, but it's still important. And he explained that the upper and lower classes had different roles, but they were very valuable. And I don't know if I would want to be compared to anybody's stomach. It seems a little insulting. But the argument worked. It did. And it was simply aristocratic jargon to keep the revolt um, at bay and to keep the people at peace. But it was successful. And so this, this metaphor of the human body starts as a way to control other people. And then Paul grabs onto it and he takes it in a new direction. And he subverts its origin of hierarchy and looking at people based on a scale and it gives it new meaning. So we're going to look at what scripture teaches. Would you open to 1 Corinthians 12? It's on page 959 in your pew Bibles, or if you brought your own, that would be great. And there's also, um, I would just encourage you this morning that in your bulletin, there's a space for notes, that if you're a note taker, that's a great place to write down just a couple key things. And if you're not a note taker, I would just challenge you to try it today. Um, we're more likely to remember things when we write them down and we take them home with us. So let me pray um, as you guys find your place there. Lord God, may the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, God. Would the words of Paul um, in the Corinthian church be relevant and applicable in our hearts and minds this morning as we reflect on our, our role in the body of Christ? Um, speak to us now. Amen. So as Donna read the scripture this morning, we're going to read it again together and add on a bit as well. Um, so read along with me, beginning in verse 12. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, Slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Awesome, thank you. Okay, so the first point this morning is appreciate unity and celebrate diversity in the body of Christ. For those that consider themselves followers of Christ, we have a promise of being incorporated into Christ's family. And it's not through a cultural or generational participation in Christianity that we become a child of God. It's through faith and baptism in Jesus in Christ, there's no social distinction or division. We are one body, and we are in one spirit. And Paul reinforces this again in Galatians 3. He says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. 
For as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Once we put on Christ, we are all counted sons and daughters of Christ, and we all have an heir to a heavenly inheritance. The more we embrace this for ourselves and for how we see our brothers and sisters in Christ, the more the church will flourish. The church doesn't thrive when we are divisive, when we create hierarchy based on gender, race, profession, or societal status. We should celebrate our differences, but there needs to be unity in Christ no matter what. For me, as a 20-something Latina woman, the fact that I am given the privilege and the platform to speak to you this morning and to work with our youth and speak with them, this is an example of how Carmel Press, I believe, is living this out already, unifying all people under Christ. Our distinct giftings matter, yet they lend themselves to a greater whole united in Christ. Another example is the idea of boy bands. It sounds silly, but right, there's a reason most boy bands, like NSYNC, or One Direction, or The Beatles. If you don't know those first two, ask your kids or your grandkids. Um, but there's a reason that boy bands don't really work out, right? They all have the exact same talent. They all have the same gift. There's no diversity among them. They all sing, they all play guitar, and eventually they break up, and they all go out to have their own careers because they want to be solo artists. But the band U2 is different, right? Only Bono sings. Only The Edge plays the guitar. And four decades later, they are still successful. Okay, enough about boy bands. Let's look at, look at scripture again. Verse 14. I'll read, and you can just um, follow along with me. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? As it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So the second point this morning is don't underestimate your importance to the body of Christ. And so to help me illustrate it this morning, I'm going to use a friend. And you might have wondered what this was doing up here this whole time. So, this doesn't help us see the full intricacy of our human body, but it gives us literally the bones, <laughs> the bare bones. Okay, so, human body. Right, imagine the foot here. It's very bendable. The foot starts comparing itself to a hand. And it's thinking things like, man, I'm just not as cool as the hand. Like, the hand gets so much more attention. I'm smelly. I'm stuck in a shoe. Nobody notices me. I'm so far oops, from the rest of the body. <laughs> Right? Would, that, would, would them comparing itself to a hand, would that keep it from being a part of the body? No. Right? That, that would be crazy. It didn't change the fact that it's still connected. The foot still is valuable. There's over 200 muscles in your foot that you need to walk. Right? So let me just say, if you're feeling like a foot in a crowd of hands this morning, God, God doesn't expect you to be something you're not. He wants you to do what you can with who you are, with who he's made you to be. And so imagine with me again that all of these bones, all of these parts, right, were smushed all into one eyeball. No spine, no feet, no hands, no ears, no mouth. Everything is just one giant eyeball. It'd be a really great eyeball. 
you would see some really awesome things, right? But you would never hear music, and you would never taste good food, and you would never walk on the sand. Right? It wouldn't be complete. It would be lacking in all the other functions and the roles the members of the body offer. The condition the body is suffering from is uselessness. Because I'm not like them, I'm not needed. Someone else is going to do it. Somebody else is more gifted than I am. They don't really need me here. My gifts aren't important. When we believe that we're useless to the body of Christ, the body of Christ suffers. Paul's cure for this condition is to boldly deny it. God created our literal body with purpose and intention for it to work together. And the same is true for the body of Christ. We as the church, we have to come alongside one another and boldly proclaim each other's worth and each other's value by being together. When we see our brothers and sisters in Christ feeling useless, we need to speak truth and point one another back to the truth of how God sees us. Do you trust God? Do you trust his plan for your life? Then trust that he has also equipped you with the perfect giftings and skills to accomplish all he has set out for you to do. Let's keep reading in verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the foot, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our presentable parts we treat with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. So the third point this morning is don't oversell your importance to the body of Christ. On the flip side of uselessness, we find self-sufficiency. Imagine our friend here, he's just walking along, and the eye decides to tell the hand, you know what, I'm kind of tired of you. Like, get out of here. You're not needed. Right? And then a little while later, something gets stuck in the eye, and it doesn't have the hand to help get it out. That's not helpful. Right? And then the head is thinking to itself, you know what, these feet are awful. I'm getting rid of the feet. They're, they're, they're not needed here. That would be crazy. We can't even think of doing that ourselves. But the same happens to the body of Christ. It's crazy to think that we can be self-sufficient Christians, that we can just ditch the other members along the way. Yet that doesn't stop us from thinking that. And it didn't stop me in college from thinking that my faith could thrive apart from the body of Christ. Paul makes it abundantly clear that there needs to be many parts within the body. And in fact, the parts that seem weaker or are more hidden are actually more important. That you can, you can go without a hand, right? But you can't go without a stomach. Someone once said to me that you can't do Christianity in a vacuum. It wasn't meant to be done alone. To love Jesus and be in relationship with him apart from the church is a dichotomy that just doesn't work. It not only contradicts itself, it's not sustainable. Last weekend, I was in my best friend's wedding, and if I had told her, you know what, Alyssa, I love you, I love our friendship, thank you for letting me be in your wedding, but I just don't like your husband. I really hate him. <laughs> you should ditch him. That friendship would not have lasted. Like, we would not be friends to this day. <laughs> and it's the same relationship for a relationship with the church. When you talk bad about the church, you're talking bad about the bride of Christ. Any spiritual pride that we have 
for our own journeys of faith or our own gifts, we have to set aside for the sake of the greater good. The purpose of our gifts is not to lift ourselves up, to make ourselves look better, but it's to build up the body of Christ. And when we do that, when we put that aside, we're connected to one another in unity and diversity of gifts. We will mourn with those who mourn, and we will rejoice with those who are honored. And our connection will not just be about what church service we attend, but it will be about truly feeling for one another and being connected to one another. So the final verse this morning, verse 27, is Paul's charge or command. You are now the body of Christ and individually members of it. So the last point this morning is God's people are, in fact, better together. Individually, we're just members, but together we become the body of Christ. It's kind of like how individually the warrior players are just great athletes, but together they will hopefully become the 2018 NBA champs. Just had to slide that in there after last night's game. <laughs> the one thing that makes the church more than just a bunch of people is the gospel of Christ. His death, his life, sorry, his life, his death and resurrection. Everything hinges on the sacrifice Christ made for us and the reality of his resurrection. Without it, we would, we would all just be people with random talents and gifts. But because of it, because of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, we have the power of the Holy Spirit that works in us. And we are brought together as gifted people into one body for one purpose, and that's to glorify God. We can only be better together because Jesus came to fix relationships. And his death and resurrection made a way for us not to live by our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church in Acts, they lived out their commissioning through the Holy Spirit by living by the Holy Spirit. They baptized new believers from all cultures in the name of Jesus. They witnessed God's promise fulfilled before their own eyes. The believers, they couldn't help but be together. They were devoted to God and to one another. They were together in fellowship, in food, in prayer, in miracles, in serving, in giving of themselves, and they enjoyed it. They, they found joy in being together, surrounded by Christ. And let me just point out that the church and the ministry that was taking place then, it wasn't just done by the apostles, because it wasn't about just the apostles. It was about making more disciples, to go out and make more disciples and further God's kingdom. And so it's not just about only one pastor or only one staff member or only one congregation member. It's all of us working together to further God's kingdom. And in Revelation, we see the final product of what the church will look like in heaven. It says, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne, before the Lamb. When we get to heaven, we better be prepared that there won't just be the people in this room, people that look like us, people that speak like us, people that cook like us. We'll be in for such a treat. I'm all about the kind of food that will be dished up in heaven. <laughs> so where does that leave us as the church living today? In recent months in my life, I've seen the body of Christ at work in a difficult season when my dad was in the hospital. And so, ooh, people showed up that had the gift of prayer, and they prayed over him. And people that had the gift of hospitality invited me in. Yeah, so thank you. 
that wasn't supposed to happen. <laughs> so where do you find yourself in this list? Are you stuck on seeing unity and celebrating diversity? Do you doubt your usefulness? Have you been trying to go alone in your faith? This morning, I want to challenge you to invite the Holy Spirit to show you where you need to reorient yourself, where you need to feel encouraged, but also where you may need to feel humbled. Your gifts are needed. And wherever you're at in your faith or your involvement in this church or in the church at large, you have something to share. And we have something to gain from participating in the body of Christ together. And if you want to know more about what it looks like to join this particular body of Christ, we have a covenant partner meeting coming up on June 23rd, and um, I saw a table on the patio. You could sign up for that. But that's a great step at becoming better together here. Participating in the body of Christ will cost us our time, it will cost us our pride, and it will cost us to be authentic with one another, but it is definitely worth it. So would you pray with me? Holy Spirit, I thank you for the time this morning we have to focus on what you've called us to do. Lord, I pray for the people in this room who walked in feeling useless, that their gifts don't matter. Lord, I pray you would speak powerfully to encourage them, that they would know that they are needed, that they are loved. I pray for those of us in this room that have tried to go alone in our faith and walk by ourselves. I pray that you would put people in our path Lord, who would guide us closer to the body of Christ. Lord, help us to celebrate what you've built your church to be and how you will continue to build your church. Lord, thank you for using humans. Thank you for using us to build your church. I pray that you would do so this morning. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelprez.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.